0: Or to say you simply flooded the system with money. Yes, we did. That's another way to think about it. We did. Where does it come from? Do you just print it? We print it digitally. So we, you know, we as a central bank, we have the ability to create money um, digitally, and we do that by buying treasury bills or bonds.
1: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to episode 65 of Pounding the Table. Everyone's excited because
2: in the
1: that's right, there's not a cloud in the sky, literally because the FDA just canceled Jules. So maybe that is the catalyst behind this green we just saw this week. Tony's cracking up back here, but it feels like almost everything's back to normal, right? The birds are chirping, everything's good. The Warriors won the championship. <laughs> The Stock Quits Trending Tickers of the Week. Our favorite place to check out what is happening. Trending tickers both on crypto and the stock market. Talking about SPY first and foremost. Powell is back on the microphone. Congress hearing generating some noise. Recession woes are lingering. He's kind of giving mixed
2: messaging. What's going on there? Powell, he's kind of been all over the place. It's been hard to decipher what he's really been saying. It kind of just adds to my... I don't want to say distrust, but you know, lack of confidence and everything going on at the Fed and the administration in general. I think people just wanted something to ignite some sort of rally. Now, the problem is a lot of this feels like what we've talked about for weeks now is that bear market rally. So where we did have some really good action and strong buying and, you know, some of the great growth names and technology. I just can't get over the fact that we've seen this so much before and, you know, history's. Almost repeating itself when it comes to these bear market rallies. So I don't want people to get too excited about this and go out and buy everything on Monday or Tuesday. But we had great weeks. We finally made a little bit of our our losses back. We're not licking our wounds like we were for a while. But don't get overconfident and start deploying too much capital into this until we have a legitimate reason to be clawing out of this. Because you know every economic indicator, everything we're seeing is still as negative as ever. People
1: talking about this on Twitter. I saw High Yield Six who. Is an amazing trader and he's usually bearish in at least least the past year or so. And this week he said there's 10 days, right? And so, Tony, we talked about as to why that is. But for those who were not aware, like, why did he say that? Like, what happened this last 10 days? I'll give a hint, it's the end of the quarter, but like, talk
0: to that a little bit more in depth. There's no surprise that SPX is trending again, as it has been doing for most weeks and NASDAQ as well but it's a specific time of the year, like actual calendar time, right? So we have, first of all, the end of quarter coming up and we you know what happened in March into the end of quarter there is like these names pump and a lot of things pump and you have rebalances, especially like you saw a huge action today in the Russell names, especially like genomics all this week as well. So you have rebalancing going on, you have different end of month flows, but you also have a lot of like really specific things going on that are by some big institutions. So you know, I've been seeing this all over Twitter and like, it's definitely facts. It's like we have this JPM put caller at 3,600. That's like the quote unquote bunny ear, like put bottom right there for like the next 10 days. But that ends in the next 10 days, which is why, you know, is exactly what he was saying. And so like, you're going to get that getting really comfy kind of situation because everything's running and ripping where it's just like this perversion going back for end of quarter window dressing and Fed made some really chill comments. So another thing that we've talked about a lot of times on this pod that just continues to be true is anytime the market gets any sort of breath up that's where the fed uses those that cushion as another like demand destruction liquidity dump and so they'll go from hawkish to dovish to from hawkish to dovish and try to play this little seesaw of the market cycling and so we're going to continue seeing that in my opinion until the data fundamentally changes but like you know there's always a situation where sometimes markets do bottom before the news does, but I don't necessarily think this is the case whatsoever. Like I would expect July to be a bloody month, just like from my perspective, I think that we had the same exact thing happen at the end of the month in March. And then April and May were just not great months at all. You just resumed the downtrend. It, it's about more that fundamentals are charged or charge yeah. for this and that. It's the entire gambit. We got to get to Sorry. Solana phone, man. We had a, a huge discussion about this.
1: Solana phone, a physical phone brought to you by... Solana. So I know you're a huge Solana guy, so I'll let you defend this. My whole thought was they can't compete against the Apples or Samsung or any Nokia even could come back from the
0: dead here and and take out Solana. Like, what are they doing? All right. First about this competition, like before we even get into the phone, I don't know why people think it's a competition because you know how many like apps you can use, like Web3 dApps, like things you can actually do on iOS or Android currently? Not many. Not many at all. Like you could barely use MetaMask or Phantom on anything on iPhone. And those are like primarily the only two things that exist. And that's like the ETH wallet and the Solana wallet. So that's just the first part of this. And I also think that the entire rolling out of this $1,000 phone called the Saga, it's, it, it's very much so a like Tesla approach to marketing, in my opinion. Because yes, there's 7 billion people in the world that use a smartphone and over 100 million people in the world using digital assets. And of course, both of those will continue to grow. But I think that the difference in thinking it's a competition versus an iteration is key here because it's for web three experiences on mobile versus saying, I'm going to go to the iOS app store. I'm going to go to the Android app store, the Google app store, all these things. Different users for different reasons, right? And I think that the big main play of it is that you're rolling out this $1,000 big phone right now. And that's primarily going to be targeting people in the US who have money because it's a $1,000 phone. Then you're going to have that trickle down into the super cheap phone that's going to be used for payments and processing in other countries. Like very similar to all the regions of talking about SC and Mercado Libre dominating in these underdeveloped countries that don't have really good financial systems at all. Mm-hmm. And they also don't necessarily have laptops. That's why mobile growth is the biggest growth over laptops. That I get.
1: No, I, so that, I, that I totally get. And, and I think you're right on that, the the concept, but like from a pure financial situation, like how, how are the, like it's probably priced at a thousand dollars because they don't have the scale, right? Like they can't scale. Like, uh, think about how much an iPhone is and, and how much a, an Android, you know, a Google phone may be, and they have massive scale and they have thousands of people working on this. So like just play devil's advocate. Keep this, going. Not, this can't be the catalyst for like, I, I, I just oh, go not- record saying it'll be a big failure i'm gonna eat
0: my shorts if i'm wrong here but like you're definitely gonna eat your shorts so get your fork ready bro because <laughs> this is not at all the case it's not even about the phone okay this is it this is the it, it, it is system. about we're talking about the phone it's not. <laughs> exactly that's what we're talking about the phone well who makes the phone so long? it's that's about that's the just phone one thing. <laughs> it's not about the phone all right number one i'll tell you every reason why i was saying like eth is gonna crack 1750 and go to the triple digits which it did you're welcome twitter Bitcoin's going to break 28K and go into the teens, which it did. You're welcome again. And I said, Solana is the most strong coin right now at the price it is, which we also I also posted many times that I sold it at 200 after buying it in the 50s. But the reason why is because price rules everything around. And the thing was holding up far, far better. And people don't even know that there's vesting schedules for these coins, these lockup ICOs that come out. And they had huge vesting window in the last two months, which just happened to coincide with a financial meltdown and a bunch of brisk assets. So... Perfect situation that I used to buy the dip on Salon, but that's me. In addition, they just rolled out a new upgrade to the platform. So now you can use it like it's seamless, right? And it's going to be a great politician, dude. What's about the phone? We're talking about the phone. (laughs) We'll get to the phone. All right. (laughs) We're not there yet because it's not about the phone. All right, you know, we're talking about the book. Let's get it, let's get more things. So you have the upgrade to the network, and now transactions flow like crazy. You have Magic Eden, the primary NFT platform for Solana, it just got $150 million of funding at a $1.6 billion valuation. In the peak bear, OpenSea had a $13 billion valuation in peak bull. Consider the spade of the spade example, please, everyone. And then if you understand that there's another upgrade coming where it's going to change it from being even change it into being even faster, it's going to be called quick. Q-U-I-C, kind of cool, there's no kit. But that's going to be huge as well. So you have the network growing on all cylinders. And you have this phone where I can't use my iPhone to do Web3 things because it's not secure and it's not safe. And the reason it's a $1,000 phone is because the only people who care about security and safety and being able to transact, build, have SDK connected to your app, like all these different things that the phone is going to be able to do are people who already have money and are doing things. We will trickle down into the developing countries that can use it for their payments in every day. But it's not about the phone. We're talking about it now. That's bullish for Solana. That's the point. It's, a, it's by Solana Labs. It's not Solana Phone Labs.
2: <laughs> okay. <laughs> I, so I just have to add two <laughs> things. Since the topic is Solana Phone, I will keep it on Solana Phone. If you try to take my iPhone from me, it's never going to happen. If you give me the choice of you have an iPhone or you can be invested in crypto or anything to do with blockchain, I'm picking my iPhone. Number two... If someone even texts me and it pops up green, I don't even really want to text them back. It's like, you're out of my ecosystem. It took me to get the hour for you to come on the podcast. I think that's what happened. It's like, I, it's even like seeing the green text deters me. So you're talking, you want me to get out of my comfort Advice. ecosystem
0: and give me some Solana phone for It's just, I'm out. I don't want you to. I only want you to if you're already in Solana and you probably want to yourself. It's not for you, Joey. It's not <laughs> but, for you, Joey. Get your Toyota Solara. Guys, <laughs> um, listen to the on
2: Coke.
1: this episode.
2: <laughs> Joey thought we were talking about Toyota Solara
1: for about why are we talking about cars, guys? All right, moving on. Let's talk about air because two of the three of us have none of it. Revlon. There's rumors of an acquisition post bankruptcy. It's making this thing go crazy. It's like meme stock B team, right? Is it like the
2: Hertz 2.0? What's going on with that? It's insane. So it just seems like meme stock mania again. You know, We saw this Hertz bankruptcy filing and then memes go crazy and it, it basically kept the company alive. And now you see what they're doing. It's just, it's incredible what happened. And we're seeing it all over again with Revline. Yeah, they file bankruptcy and the stock goes down to like a bunk. And now you see it just starts surging. So, I mean, this is one of those where If you're a meme trader and you're watching second by second and you want to play with it, I mean, yeah, people have done well, but it's one of those things I'd rather sit in the sideline, just enjoy it. And the big thing is, you know, if meme traders use this power for good and can save a company that probably has thousands, if not tens of thousands of jobs attached to it, then, hey, have at it, do what you do, but it's not for me.
1: We are talking about the kids earlier. So, Jewels have to come into the conversation. So, Altria was trading down, but actually, they, they ended up on the week here. But FDA made a huge ban on Jewel products, which is probably half of our listeners here are a little frustrated. But you said good. You're a parent. So, you were upset with the fruity flavors. And I get it, right? Like, they were clearly marketing towards children. But do so you think, like, Is this going to be a trickle down effect? So no one's going to be vaping anymore? Like this was such a huge fad to just
2: get rid of. So it came out like, oh, vaping, it's better than smoking. Uh, I think that's like the original marketing I was seeing, you know, it's not as bad, but I think it quickly became known that, you know, it's just as bad. And you know, you saw these kids start having these crazy lung problems and they issued it to vaping. And You know, I, I hated the idea of all these fruity flavors because, oh, it's not meant for kids, but you know, we're going to have the fruity loops or something like that as a flavor. I'm like, who do you think this would be interested in? So from a parent's standpoint, I just hated it. And then I look at it from an investing standpoint. Like if I'm looking at Altria, uh, I put any of the tobacco companies in the same category. I want to invest in companies that their clients and their users benefit from it in some way and i feel like when it comes to smoking it's been proven in so many different ways that it is not ever beneficial to your health so you know it's one of those products if it doesn't make your your life better it doesn't make your consumers live longer to then consume more of your product that it's just from i guess from a social and parent standpoint as well as an investor standpoint i want nothing to do with it now i yeah i said good that this was banned the bad part is, yeah, all these people are going to lose their jobs. They might have believed in it. Yeah, Altria is going to take a hit so some share- mm-hmm. shareholders could see some pain. But I think long term, this is one of those companies that I'm okay with going away because I just did not see them doing good for, you know, the kids in America.
1: Well, it, it, it's an interesting, Altria, and this is the same way that weed's going to go, right? It's like these huge conglomerates. They took a defensive position here, right, and, and getting a stake in Jewel. So if cigarette, you know, they were, they were doing both sides of the pendulum. If, if one of them won, they basically hedged against their own company. You yep. know, so now that we were joking about this before Joey, that maybe it was just like people knocking it on the white house and saying, Hey, too many kids are vaping. We don't have money in cigarettes right now. We've seen this and we won't get into all the crazy things that are happening, but like there's been like three or four major issues with Roe v. Wade gun control. Now like cigarettes too, like some major issues right now.
2: I definitely think that the original reason Altria and different companies to invest in this was, yeah, they had to hedge their bets in case vaping took over and no one smokes regular cigarettes. They had to have a stake there. So I, I get it from like almost a risk management perspective to take a stake in this and yeah, they're going to take a massive hit on that. If all the jewel products end up coming off the market, but I I could see your point where they wouldn't want this to take off because then it almost like, you know, destroys the bread and butter of the business that they built for years, but I think this is just an entire space where I think there's so much more to focus on. It's one that I'm completely okay with just ignoring. And yeah. know, I, I yep. honestly don't care what happens with tobacco companies. I would love for them to just disappear because I think people would be healthier in the end if they did. Fair enough, fair enough. Let's
1: move on to layoffs. There's been a lot of them recently, Netflix being the most recent. You were saying that it's potentially like a value stock right now. Because Fang, like everyone's calling for Netflix to get out of there. But you're calling this a value stock now at this point, like well, people haven't even touched on the gaming sector of Netflix. I feel like I haven't heard that in the news for a while. So I don't know if that's like taking time to progress here, but like, why do you call this a value stock now?
2: Well, when you look at the valuation over time, I want to say this is now trading at less than three times sales and you know, every metric you look at it's near its all time lows. Now, this is a stock, you know, it was north of 700 at one point. Now, you got it below 200 And from a valuation standpoint, this would fall in the value stock category. Now, the big problem for me now is how do I value this in this new environment? And this is a stage you see with a lot of stocks where they go from that growth space into being a value name, but growth investors leaving, value investors not moving in quick enough. It's like this gray area that the market doesn't know how to price it. And you see a lot of software names get stuck in this area. Then they just end up being acquired because people just don't know how to treat it. Now, Netflix being as big as it is, I don't see this as, you know, an easy acquisition for anybody to make. So I don't foresee that happening, but I would definitely say that, yeah, this has to be seen as a value stock now. And I guess, I mean, I'm not rushing out to buy it, but if you look at it, it's actually cheaper than Disney now. And I saw Josh Brown say the same thing on CNBC. I don't know if it was today or yesterday, but it's just a weird i guess gray area that the stock is in and it's definitely on my radar that you know if they make some big move like you, you said you know gaming they've been making subtle moves in there and not making a huge splash but i feel like they need to find something to really spur that growth and i i don't know if this ad supported model will do it since i mean watching a couple ads is not a big deal i would almost like downgrade a subscription to get to that so i don't know if you know enough people would come in that would offset the people that would downgrade to make any significant impact, I, I feel like.
1: Or the optionality it, too, like you know, allow people, like with YouTube, it's you, you have the choice. You can go YouTube Red or you can sit there and watch the ads. And so like- But
2: see, that's that's the exact point that I'm making. No, exactly, Every I agree use with that, yeah. free YouTube, it's one thing to have a free product, then offer a premium, then having a premium product and then offering a free. I feel like they did it in a complete reverse order. And it's almost like, could they pull off kind of what Tesla did? For a very long time, Tesla had these premium cars, you know, seventy, eighty thousand, and mm. some north of a hundred. Then they come out with the Model S. That's this in the thirties, and I don't know where the price is now because of inflation. If it's still there, or if it's in the 40s, Model, but three. like Model Three. But yeah, they brought that price down, and it worked for them. I don't know if Netflix could pull off the same thing. Their content is great, but in this industry, you know, content is king. And I look at a Disney Plus that has some incredible franchise, you know from Marvel to Star Wars and all the kids brands that right. it's a battle for content and a company like Disney that has all the content, they have it in the theme parks. Now it's just have it go straight to streaming. It's, it's a tough space. And yeah, I was going to say, I'm not rushing to go buy Netflix. It's commoditized
1: to some capacity, right? Like it it feels it's like it's mm-hmm. that was, you know, it, disrupted. Everyone uses their, friends or their parents, whatever. Don't they have that now? The password protection
0: kind of thing that they- Well,
1: they they did that intentionally. It's like a drug. Like, eventually you take it away. Exactly. Like, oh, fuck it. It's 10 bucks. The gaming, that really excited me. That's a huge area, but that's a whole new expense too, right? You're going to have to pay for all the licensing for
2: all those where Disney could do the same thing. And And the problem is you've got Microsoft in there. They already have Minecraft. They've got Xbox. Like, there are some huge gaming companies they got to go up against to try to steal that audience. And it's almost like they need to acquire some massive game to force those audiences onto their platform. And I just don't think that they, I guess, have the firepower to do it. It's almost like they'd have to abandon the core business of creating content for Netflix to focus on gaming. And, you know, if you neglect your bread and butter to chase something else, it's not a sure thing. So it's yeah. just not an envious position that they're in. Yeah. And I, I mean, I even had this conversation with my family, with a lot of other people that I'm like, okay. You know, everybody has Netflix and Amazon Disney plus. and I'm like, if you had to pick one, what would it be? Anybody with kids is going Disney because there's stuff for the adults. there's stuff for the kids. There's something for everybody that, yeah, Netflix has a good kids section, but it it's not as vast and as, I guess, the the great brands that a Disney plus has. So, like you said, it's very commoditized. Everybody has a streaming service now, you know, except for CNN.
0: Have a minute to chat um I'll do an interview, okay.
2: As long as it airs on CNN Plus, oh. <laughs> does that still exist? Yeah. I didn't think so. That didn't work out too well, but you know the great brands, great platforms that people love. As soon as they come out with their streaming services, you know they're they're just grabbing users, and you know they got to take them from somewhere. People are you know picking and choosing, and it's yeah, it's not a great you through the
1: though? platform. Then, uh, like, I mean, not to no. I mean,
2: trending ticker. So I don't want to go
1: too deep here, but like. Roku is a platform that's kind of agnostic to all this noise of all these
2: little... I think they were agnostic until they started launching all of their own original content. So, you know, they're trying to be that agnostic while creating content. So it's kind of, it's interesting what they're doing. But again, I mean, there's such a hardware part of Roku that goes streaming. Yeah, it's, it's a friction. I think that whole space is a space that I don't want too much exposure to. Like I have some of the exposure through Amazon because, you know, I have AWS, I have the retail and I have streaming that I don't want to go with any of these almost pure plays. If I wanted to own Roku, I would want to own it for the advertising part of it. But if I want a pure play on advertising, I'm going more towards, you know, the trade desk, or I'm going to go with Google that also gives me advertising across search and connected television, as well as, you know, YouTube and all these other properties. That I think in this market you want almost like a diversified approach with you know direct exposure to something that you want. Mm-hmm. So it's it's just a new world out there, and you have to treat it as such when you're investing your dollars. Yeah, we'll send Netflix
1: an invoice for how much airtime they just got on that. <laughs> for real. I don't think we've ever talked about something <laughs> that was that was a long time, but it was interesting. Smith and Wesson gunmaker rose 14% after the Supreme Court ruling. So these are you were talking about is just like news just pops it news drops it is this something long term that's something we should look at or not at all i've seen
0: it oh yeah wait tony i've talked too much i think tony's got a take here yeah i mean definitely based off of the the supreme court ruling and all joey said about like altria and stuff like you know i uh one of my mentors and like when i was in high school Altria was like one of the great names to write cover calls on because like it never moved much. And it's like pretty much recession proof. In, in fact, probably benefits in a recession because shit gets stressful. So people snub more, especially with alcohol and same thing. And, and like, I think guns are like another proponent of like when times are crazy, which is also like recession. All, it, it's all the same, like I, in my opinion. And so it's like one of those baskets that I don't really pay attention to at all. Well, I trade it off of news. Sure. I'm not a saint. But when I own it long term, no, I, I I don't like a lot of those sectors. And I also think just like political climate and social climate that the world's going into, like over time, a lot of the things that are those kind of things will just be more and more scrutinized. So it's up this week Up news. Cool. But like, that's all I'm going to talk about it. because like, it doesn't really matter to me.
1: I want to get into
2: Axon at some point in the next couple of weeks. But
1: that's definitely going to go that exact axon's the platform. (laughs) I was gonna
2: take that exact angle. I was gonna say if you want exposure to, you know, self-defense type areas, Axon would be the way to go because you know they've got whether it's the tasers, the body cams, evidence.com, everything that goes with it, I feel like it's a better way to get exposure to I guess the protection industry. I don't like The pure plays like a Smith & Wesson or a a Ruger. Or, you know, the ammunition type plays with Olin is one, O-L-N. And we used to have, you know, Orbital ATK, which was a big ammunition maker. So, you know, you've got these different ways to play it. But I feel like those used to soar, you know, there would be a shooting back when they weren't all that regular. You know, there'd be a good, a big shooting. And you'd see people start sparking Second Amendment conversations. So they would soar thinking, okay, there's going to be a restriction on guns in America. And then, of course, that never happens. So then they'd come back down. And then something else would happen. And you'd just see these spurts of moving in and out, where now it's almost like it's horrible, but it's so regular that it doesn't even, you know, all the shootings that happen don't even catch headlines anymore. That's a one, And that's just kind of like the state that we're living in. And it's sad to see, but you know, I definitely again, just like we were talking about tobacco, I want absolutely no exposure to this. I'm not anti-gun, I'm not pro-gun. I'm just kind of caught in the middle where like I see the points both sides are making and I also see that this is never something that's going to be overturning the like the second amendment's never going anywhere. If you see how this is played out, you know, ever mm-hmm. since it was even created, that I think it's all something we need to figure out how to deal with properly. But i don't want to be invested in it either way all right guys we've been talking about some binary things right now let's
1: get back to what people feel very confident in right now which is travel right it's so easy to jump on a plane never cancellations anything like that. So the next ticker that's trending right now of course is carnival cruise lines which is up 12 percent so maybe people are sick of disruptions in air travel they say let's take a boat you
2: know (laughs) is that a a trend that we should watch for or not at all travel it's such a tough space yeah i've seen that airlines are having tougher times than ever i know i even saw some airlines are canceling certain routes indefinitely just because you know there's like a pilot shortage i mean there's a shortage on everything now now we got a, a pilot shortage and a lifeguard shortage like you talked about before not to mention food and essential needs for babies and women that yeah, let's let's throw on a pilot shortage on top of all that and all these delays. Now, when it comes to the cruise lines, I know one of the cruise lines was a meme stock of late. I don't know if it's Royal Caribbean or if this was Carnival that helped to catch headlines, but you know, you've got the big ones with Royal Caribbean, Carnival, and Norwegian cruise lines. But, you know, if I'm going out traveling, I'm not picking a cruise line to do it. Now, this has nothing to do with COVID or monkey pox or, you know, whatever the next one's gonna be. I've just always seen it as like a floating Petri dish. And I've seen all the horror stories, you know, people getting trapped out at sea. And it's just never something that tempted me. But again, I feel like if I ever did go on one, I'd go on a Disney cruise. So, you know, when you're thinking you're about-, about the, the kids, Joey. Yeah, well, I'm not thinking, even if it was just like me and my wife going, I would want to go on a Disney cruise because I trust the brand. <laughs> I trust it's going to be very clean, yeah. that they're going to have great food, that they're going to take, you know, to their like private Disney Island. Like there's a lot of, what i do goes with like your, you know, your trust and experience with a brand and i've never had a bad experience with disney before then you know you also get the theme parks disney plus everything that else that goes with it where i guess if i want exposure to this space i'll go with you know this big well rounded just like i was talking advertising by having google that has all these other spaces as well um, that's just my thinking when i when it comes to the investing side but a pure play into cruise lines i don't want that exposure
0: I agree, Joey. I mean, one, one big thing too, is like, those are the names that got absolutely massacred. Like everyone shorted like crazy during COVID. And like, you've seen a lot of different assets, like that body during COVID overshoot their run as well, right? Like it's all a cycle. It goes between different asset classes. You've got housing going crazy right now. And everyone who just bought a house, especially if they have like variable rates in the last like year or so are going to get bodied there too. And so I think the same thing goes for a lot of these like traditionally normal, low margin, like not phenomenal underlying businesses, but also have now a ton of debt because of the pandemic and such, like that goes for cruises, that goes for a lot of the commodity like slash oil and things like that these days. So like all those different types of industries slash sectors like that are overshooting. If you look five to 10 years out, like it doesn't make me that enticed at all to want to own those, especially when it's it's kind of buying the top-ish area of trend that is overshot from being killed so much in COVID. I
2: think I- uh when it comes <laughs> to travel, I think Tony would go in his Toyota Solara down the coast before. I
0: go in my Tesla. Okay. Thank you. You have to book that <laughs> for
1: your on a lot phone though, of course. Yeah. There's a lot of phone. it's going
0: to be so good. <laughs>
2: <laughs>
1: we'll see that one in the trash. Shopify split goes into effect. I think you said next Thursday, later this week. I want to say I looked it up and I saw June 28th. So yeah, that would be... That's Tuesday. Uh, then. Tuesday? my birthday. By the way, folks, wish me happy birthday on Monday. June 28th would be Tuesday then. You guys can wish me a happy birthday here.
2: I'll wish you happy birthday on your
1: birthday. <laughs> <At any point. laughs> All right. So Shopify, though, that's a big name, right? It, we talked about this with Amazon. Nothing really insane came from the Amazon split yet. Is Shopify, is that a name that, you know, is similar to Amazon here? Or you think there'll be a different well, direction?
0: Like when we started the podcast, Shopify is a name that I was like heavy screaming, pounding the table on, like before we had pounding the table when it was like in the two hundreds. And, you know, by the time we started the pot, it was already like near a thousand. And I was already noticing a lot of companies like Shopify. I was like, this doesn't sit right with me at the valuation. Like I get it. It's this huge thing. It's like, you know, this paradigm shifts company, but like a lot of companies had this crazy valuation. Like we're talking about like net got too expensive for me and snowflake, I didn't want to touch with the 10 foot pole and stuff like that. And Shopify started becoming that for me when it was like well over a thousand, like 1800. Just like, why is this here? But like you look at it now as a company and it's like, this is really pretty pretty cheap and like a lot of different bases. And it's got that strong path for forward profitability. And I think the, a stock split, and I, I wrote this on Twitter multiple times as well. is like, if you're going to do a stock split, do it like TTD did. TTD absolutely crushed doing a stock split at the time that they did it. They did it like near the peak of Tesla top. crushed it a year ago too. Tesla's its own thing, but I agree. You're right. Like Tesla's the Elon perfect reverse short squeeze Gamma Ponzi, and it, it's not done yet. But you know, you look at Shopify and right? like they're doing a split now, like how exciting is that to be a $4 stock, but it could have been $180 stock and then figured out where it wanted to go. And probably would have been a lot harder to break 100, which was a thousand at the time because liquidity was just so crazy. So when you have a big share price, it's a lot harder to keep that share price up, especially if like the options market forward is the way that it was for a lot of these growth names. And that's exactly why TTD did a great job splitting. Because when you try to trade options on something like TDD when it was at like 800, first of all, the premiums are ridiculous. The spreads on the premiums are ridiculous. Making a spread was ridiculous. It makes it easier to trade and it makes people be able to buy it more more accessibly, right? Like a $40 stock is a lot easier than a $400 stock. But I think that it's all going to be a facet of where the markets are going to go in general for growth. Like do I think Shopify here is like a pretty cheapish stock compared to a lot of other names? It's become one again. So I think it's like a, a good company in terms of like a lot of different growth names that have been talked about on here and on Fifthwood in general. It's a great brand and it's a great company. And you can see the CEO, Toby, basically put a, you know, bunny years quote, but a CEO put at 323 when they, when he bought $10 million worth of stock. Right. So like, those are the people that you want to be like bleeding and, and, and like Seeing where they go in the long run, especially platform
1: to use. And it was a COVID stock for sure, where it kind of just ripped up, obviously, with no one was going into stores. And so people populated these stores on Instagram, a partnership with Facebook. And now's an interesting time to take a look at it. Like, I'm not buying quite yet. And maybe big commerce comes in. They have the enterprise relationships and some of these smaller companies that probably oh, yeah. up. I, 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 lo- I love you. This is a bad
0: take. What do you mean? I think that's a good take. Together. Big C and Shop have like a really strong relationship. Do they? Yeah. How? They just do. It's just How? like it, I, I don't know. I don't need to know,
1: but they do. I don't think they do at all. They're completely different companies.
0: Yeah, they I would see
2: them as direct competitors. Shopify has a page called Shopify verse. Dude. Okay.
1: So as I was saying, big commerce could take a lot of those enterprise relationships. Whereas perhaps there's a scenario where a lot of these startups that came on with Shopify. Start to fall off as like a lot of the startups could do during this downturn in the market. So maybe there's going to be a slowing growth. There's going to be some turnover within Shopify. It's a great platform. It's very easy to use. They have this relationship now with Facebook, which I've been more bullish on the metaverse. And you see all these retail stores going under recently. And the metaverse actually makes sense a lot for retail. If you can go to a fake store, put on your fake clothes and try it on and buy it. That's beneficial for everyone. The companies, the stores are actually going to benefit from that because they don't have to deal with all those returns. So that's a no-brainer for retail. And so that could benefit Shopify there. So I don't know. I'm just talking in circles here, but that's what's going on in the space. I, mean,
0: I just I just wanted to point out that Big C is like 145th the valuation of Shopify. And Big C is like nowhere near being profitable for the next four years out. And then Shopify is already profitable now and still growing at like 30% compounded. Doing- okay. All right, so I'll cap
2: this off. I'll cap this off where... You know, I own Shopify, my kids own Shopify. I think the valuation is much better now than it was during the huge COVID run up. It's more reasonable. You can wrap your head around it. Now, the issues that I could see, I mean, I, we put all the positive for it. Yes, it's the gold standard when it comes to what they do. And, you know, no one has a better experience than Shopify, Shopify Plus. If you look at like the rankings or the software reviews, the only thing that comes close to Shopify is Shopify Plus in terms of ratings. Now. When I look at what Shopify is doing, I am to give you the negatives. I'm worried about them building out their fulfillment by Shopify, you know, their fulfillment network when you see Amazon pulling back on leases and trying to get rid of some. So, as long as Shopify does that in a slow and controlled manner and sees what Amazon did, they went in, you know, Amazon came in so hot. I hope Shopify is paying attention to that. The last thing is the acquisition of Deliver. I see what they were doing with that. But again, I think the timing was not ideal when it comes to this, because I can only imagine what the financials of Deliver look like. It's probably losing a lot of money. I feel like they could have spent that money better. And if we are going into recession or if things do get worse and people start pulling back from you know shopping online or shopping in general, yes, Shopify will take a hit from that. And then you see the fulfillment network, everything they're investing in, that's the thing, you know, in a downturn, I want companies investing in the core business that's going to drive growth going forward, not pumping that cash into something that could essentially be like lighting it on fire. You know, these cash furnaces of acquisitions. So as long as they navigate or know how to navigate a difficult environment like this, then they'll be fine. But those are the things that, you know, if you want the the bear case or here's, you know, what to look for, if here's what could go wrong, right. those would be the two main things in my mind.
1: We got a green week this week. Everyone's all uh, rainbows and butterflies, of course. But like, we have to go back. Yeah, a few more days, just a few right. Days of hey,
0: rainbows hey. and butterflies. A
1: few more days, right? And to your point earlier, when we were talking about this in the episode, about it's the end of the quarter, so the funds want to look good. But I'm certainly not bullish quite yet. This could be the year of massive M and A, and we just saw one here with Zendesk, right? But I was surprised. I didn't actually know too much about this. And you were telling me, Joey, that it was a PE firm that bought them. So I, I said, let's actually talk about that, because that's beyond interesting to me. So Zendesk came private then here with a PE firm,
2: correct? So it was, it was an investor group that came in. So now they were shopping themselves for a while. And we saw headlines a couple of weeks back where they're saying, you know, no deal was going to happen. And the stock tanked from, I think it was in the 90s at the time, all the way down into the 50s. And Avi, I remember talking to you about this, like, it made no sense to me because the valuation of the company was so reasonable. Now, the growth is, is slowing. Mm. They are ramping profitability. So, like, they're in that gray area of growth where they either need to figure out how to accelerate that growth or be acquired. So, I saw this as a very attractive acquisition or m a target. So, I didn't understand, you know, how they messed up those talks so badly. But, again, I was telling you, like, this deal will get done. I, I don't see how all these firms, someone will not pass on this. Or maybe a private equity firm that wasn't involved in the initial talk saw that it fell apart. Is like, wow, I I might have a chance. Yeah. so you see this group. It said led by investment firms, Permira and Hellman and Friedman, came in seventy-seven fifty per share, around ten point two billion. So we we've been talking about this a lot. You know, you the cat a lot of these. Ask, yeah, you know, you've seen a lot of these companies with you know decelerating growth, but then they're turning that profitability corner. They're in that gray area that they even need to figure out a way to accelerate and get the investors to pile back in, ramp profitability so the value investors want to move in, or, yeah, put themselves up for sale. So, you know, there's a lot of these big tech companies with lots of cash on the balance sheet. Now, we know Apple doesn't spend a ton of money and this isn't the type of company they would acquire. But, you know, you saw Microsoft do the big Activision Blizzard deal. Google's done some tiny deals like the Mandiant. But I feel like there are some other big tech companies out there that need to start making some deals to help accelerate their own growth kind of like a salesforce.com comes in mind because, you know, every couple of years make a big acquisition that people question like the Tableau or Slack, you know, something else to enhance that platform. Then I think all these other platforms, you know, like a HubSpot or rattle off any of these big platforms that are growing, your Viva Systems, your ServiceNows, you know, these guys that could make some strategic acquisitions to bolster their growth. I feel like this is as good a time as ever unless these companies think the downturn will get worse and they'll get even you know sweeter opportunities to deploy that capital
1: well is this the re- is this a reverse spac new craze perhaps where they like maybe that's a horrible analogy but you know what i'm saying in terms of like instead of companies that are public acquiring like a microsoft or apple these big names that you're talking about come in swooping them for cheap private
2: equities comes in and just grabs us some cash cow do you think oh, yeah, that's we, the trend here we've seen this a lot in the past now I think as valuations got stretched, we didn't see it as much, but yeah, this was very common to see firms like Atama Bravo come in and they're one of the big ones that are, you know, they've acquired some fantastic companies over the years. I think, yeah, valuations got so out of hand that you didn't see a lot of these big deals get done. But now, yeah, they're coming in. These valuations are very reasonable that if the big tech companies aren't willing to deploy capital, I definitely think these PE firms are salivating at these valuations and just waiting, you know, there, there's so many more that could get acquired. You know, like an Everbridge, or uh, you know, you could rattle off a lot that have been you know decimated that would I mean, make, thousands. yeah. And, and not to mention that you know a lot of these PE firms, what they'll do is you know they've got this portfolio of companies that they've acquired over the past that they'll acquire more companies that they think could complement their current portfolio, mm. and you know they might never bring it back public. You know, there's a lot of PE firms that will you know constantly acquire a company, bring it back public. And then, you know, it just doesn't work out with Bill acquire, you know, serial companies, you know, you've seen Krispy Kreme go public and private so many different times. But yeah. I think when it comes to these tech ones, you won't see that as often. But I definitely think that these big, you know, I haven't seen Vista equity partners make a big deal in a while. And I feel like they are circling someone mm-hmm. and Toma Bravo has got to be uh, in this too. So I definitely think this could be a good time, but maybe they want to be more strategic and think that this could be just like that bear market rally and they're going to wait for prices to get even more attractive. Yeah.
1: I think it's a good segue too. And we're starting to do even more conversations with some of these private companies, right? Because there are platforms like Republic and End where you can start playing some of these private companies, right? And so as these become more prevalent, maybe another new market emerges. I know there's real estate art we've talked about with Masterworks in the past, you know? So there's optionality out there for investors and it, it's gonna get interesting too, because this is a whole new play that that people can start taking a look at. All right, guys, we gotta get back into the Bible. As we promised, we'd say, we talk about Datadog and Twilio this week. These are both names that are some of these up and coming companies in a lot of folks' eyes, right? And I think all of us have kind of agreed that Datadog feels very strong. I actually have some questions about that that I'd love to to touch on here. Uh, And then Twilio is a name I've been talking about for a while. All right, so let's start with Datadog. It's up actually 1% on the year. We first talked about this here at 89, went up to 105. This one's actually sits here at 107. So this one's actually up since we talked about the Bible. Tony, you bought this name back at 36. I know obviously you didn't hold it this whole time, but you did pretty well on that one. So Tony... You say price rules everything around us, but it was at 105, 107, pretty comparable, right? So I was looking at this initially, seeing that it was 32 times sales. Now it's actually 20 times sales. So I think that was an important comment you made, though, in terms of like companies, they get better, right? Like they, yeah. they get smarter with their operations, which
0: ultimately increase profit margins at the end of the day. Exactly. I, I like to think right. of it like an iPhone, you know, like it, it's the same size in your hand. It's just does a lot more and it's able to, you know, be a lot more in the future. So you look at Datadog, yeah, like similar price, sure, but we all knew that, and this is one of the things that you were talking about, that it was like a highly overvalued company when it got to where it was, and and like, I did not disagree. It's just that you can see the underlying fundamental change in the company. and, And one thing that we like really did pound the table on is the notion that software companies have been doing much better than the majority of other you know, quote unquote growth names in this market. And that's just a, a facet of how they are in terms of their bottom line, their margins and and their and their growth and, and the stickiness of their customers. And so like you look at Datadog here, like in 2021, they did a billion in sales. This year, they're projected to do 1.6, next year, 2.2 2, and 3.1 the year after. So like the revenues are growing anywhere between 40 to 50% on that. But what's really interesting to me and like what is, I guess, the bigger, like a bigger importance than just revenues growing is like the actual goodness of the company's like profit and like their bottom line at the end of it. So right their EBITDA goes from 200 to 300 400 to 600 million. And so you see that that's growing way faster than their revenues are growing. And then you go down all the way down to the EPS and it's growing at the same rate, right? So those are both growing way faster than their revenues so now instead of the company going for acquisition of getting bigger and larger in, in various ways, they're becoming bigger and bigger still but now they're becoming more lean and they're able to actually take out those profits at a better margin and grow them faster than just the revenue on top right and that when a company does that it becomes much more of a lean mean fighting machine and also the fact that it's one of those companies that have actually held its share price a very good comparison to other growth names right that's why like software has been and on the rally back will be more so king then the majority of other sectors that we discussed that have that high growing, fundamentally huge change in companies. And
2: so when it comes to Datadog, now this passes all of my tests. I've owned Datadog for a while. So how I would explain Datadog. So they're the gold standard, which I always like to say, I invest in the companies that are the best at what they do. They're the gold standard in observability. Now, the reason Datadog has been so successful and grown so quickly, and you look at the financials, they are incredible, which Tony touched on. But when you look at the success of Datadog over the long term, they have played the land and expand playbook to absolute perfection. Now, they were founded back, I think, in 2010, and it was this real-time unified data platform. They said it was to break down silos, just this one core thing that they absolutely crushed and started getting customers. Then in 2012, they launched infrastructure monitoring. And then in 2017, application performance monitoring. 2018 logs, 2019 user experience monitoring, 2020 security. And you can actually go to their investor presentation. You could see, you know, in 2021, what they launched. There's, you know, seven things listed and they constantly innovate. So if you've got a customer that's willing to pay you for one thing and you are so good at it, you say, hey, now I offer this. Of Mm -hmm. course, they're going to expand. Now they're using two products. Now three, now four. So they have 14 products on its platform now and 20,000 customers. So you look and they say 81% of customers use two products, 35% use four products, 12% use six or more. Mm. So you can see they've got all these clients that only use two now, but so many have grown to six and more. So it's that land and expand. And at the same time, they're bringing in more clients because they, it's almost become one of those most essential things to an organization in this in this cloud-based environment. And then, like I said, you go over the financials and they are so clean. They, they're they turning the corner of profitability at the right time when everything that's losing money is getting decimated. And they're still maintaining, you know, over 70% growth on the top line with, you know, many years of maybe from 50, 40, you know, 30 plus percent is what I always look for. Many years of 30% plus growth that, you know, the growth profile is one of the best in the market. And, you know, I use recent weakness over the last couple of weeks. To add to my position, even though the valuation could be considered rich when you can when you compare it to the stock we're going to talk about next, Twilio. You know, this is trading at what four times the valuation, yeah. of sales multiple. But it's because the financials and the business model and the execution, management team, everything completely justifies my paying for that valuation. At least in my opinion, I know value investors might greatly differ in strategy. But when I was looking at you know these companies that are phenomenal that I want more exposure to over the long term. It's just one of those that everything I was looking at just could not push me away from it.
1: Twilio is, it. we had actually not like officially given it the quote unquote pound, which we talked about last week, just doing research. But Twilio for me, I will admit like this has been a stock that I have been pounding and talking about over and over again, just because, I see what they do, right? Jeff Lawson is an absolute genius. You go on YouTube and you watch him speak. You're like, that is a guy I'm giving money to. When we launched the Bible, it was at a $59 billion market cap, trading at 11 times 2023 sales. It is way down right now. It's at $18 billion market cap. So down 70% on the year right now. So the CEO did mention they're gonna be profitable next year. So for me, everything's screaming to buy. So for me, like everything is streaming, like pay attention to this stock right now, because this is a stock I loved honestly at like three hundred dollars and it's way cheaper. But the macros I'm a little hesitant with, you know, Twilio, even though they did much better actually during COVID, you know, they're they are a stock by nature that does well when people are out and about and moving and brands are spending and getting push notifications, right? And they did the opposite in terms of Datadog. They're building out all these new products. Like Twilio made all these acquisitions like SendGrid, Segment, that do take a few years to actually get going, right? So we're not going to see the fruit of those for another year, probably, or two. And then it's really going to come together, in my opinion. But Joey, I'd love to cuz this is a stock that you love too. I'd love to hear your opinion on on where it's at right now. Down 70% on the year. It's not looking good.
2: Twilio, so just to touch on, you know, they've created that communications infrastructure for this new world that we're in, you know, all things digital. So they are everything from voice, text, chat, video, email, call centers, everything. So they started as this, you know, incredible communications API and they've just continually expanded on it, built on it and you know, made this product suite that everybody essentially has to have to communicate with people in this new world. Now, like you're saying, you know, it's taken an absolute beating this year. And I think a lot of that has to do with not turning that corner on profitability as quickly as people wanted. So it was stuck. We've talked about this gray area so much. They, their growth is still, you know, over 40%, over 30, I think it's 35% organically, but you know, the growth is still there. But people wanted those profits. And you know, you mentioned Lawson actually said, you know, it'll be next year. I don't know if it's an interview with Jim Kramer or somewhere on CNBC, but he was disappointed in himself that they haven't achieved profitability quicker, but he's like laid it online. You know, they're gonna pull it off next year. So I like seeing that. And he is someone that I believe in long term. Now, like you said, you know, less than five times uh, this year's sales right now. I would, I have not checked this directly, but I would think it's fair to say that, you know, Twilio's never been as cheap as it is today on a on a sales basis. Definitely. Now they haven't ramped the profitability as much, but I think once they do around that corner, it's going to be one of those companies that could grow their earnings significantly because of their margins, because of the customer base, because they have that dollar based retention rate that shows existing customers are either adding features in mm-hmm. some way spending more, that they follow, you know, they follow that perfect playbook that I just think they didn't reach it as quickly as people wanted got caught in that gray area, took an absolute beating. But it is one of those companies that check the box of the gold standard of what they do is uh, mission critical, which is another big box that I like to check. Very clean balance sheet, great growth profile with significant growth over the next five, 10 years that it checks a lot of boxes. And yes, uh, like you, I, I am a shareholder and I have not lost confidence to want to trim that position. But, you know, it's, it's an area that might not be for everybody. So, you know, I I could see where even value investors could argue with this, but it's a company that I I still believe in long-term.
1: So I do want to add to that with Twilio, like they're selling to developers. So you're talking about like mission critical, like IT developers, those guys have the deepest pockets when it comes to software and just being in the space for 10 plus years. They could clean out house on their sales team, whereas other companies can't. And Developers could just go on into the sandbox and start playing around with this. They could deplete their sales team, developers that could literally go on, put in their credit card if they wanted to. But it's different than like a Salesforce. It's different than some of these other companies where you really need to talk with them, sell to these marketers, et cetera. You're talking directly to the developers where they can go in the sandbox, play with it, and it's usage-based. That's a gift and a curse, though, because that's what I was going back to, is, is if all these budgets of companies that work with them start minimizing the push notifications across email, across everything, you know, th- then we're in a bigger issue. <laughs> I think overall, right? If, they, if, if people stop marketing completely, but that is the bear case for one of my favorite companies that I've talked
0: about for a while is I think that that is a feasible situation. Yeah, I mean, like from a valuation perspective, right? Like you can look at the actual market cap, it's like about 18 billion. And you can see like, yeah, sure, they're doing, in REV this year, but it is going to come all the way down to what's their EBITDA, what's their EPS, and what's their forward growth of both of those things. And so like we always talk about this on the podcast, it's like that inflection point of a company being unprofitable to profitability. And it's not just because the number goes from negative to positive. It's because the number goes from negative to positive and the people who buy stocks and the people who buy a lot of stocks, not just you and me, especially not you, me and everyone else on Twitter, like the the real money that buys stocks, that's a checkbox or not. Like it's a yes or no, and it's that simple. And so the second that a company becomes consistently profitable in terms of EPS, that is the big change. But if you look over here, like they're even sure, it goes from 224 to 366 to 491 million uh, up to 2024. Their EPS is supposed to be profitable next year at 18 cents a share. And right now it's at negative 39 cents. A, and I know that they had like some big thing that happened that like you know, hit their balance sheet or whatever in the last year. Like I just haven't been following the stock that much, but If you look at like 2024, they're saying if they get to 65 cents, like yeah, that's a 273 percent increase from 2023 to 2024. All that being said, that's a while from now, and so like they're not going to have their first profitable quarter in terms of EPS until the first quarter of 2023, and so that is a while away from now. That's like six six, months, like nine months from now. But if you then they're going to have another unprofitable quarter right after that. They're projecting negative one cent, and then seven, and then nine cents. So it's really not going to start showing what they're all saying for another year plus, plus. and so given that the markets are in this thing, debacle all around, it's one of those companies that like, sure, I like it short sure, software. Do I believe that you guys are right and like thinking that long term it could be a banger short? But like, I'm much more interested in Datadog or CrowdStrike or something that's already proven that its business model as is is perfect and they can already just improve it versus trying to make it something that it's not right now. Not to say that it won't be, but in the market that you have right now, you have a year to wait for it to play out. And no one wants to wait right now because liquidity has gone everywhere and markets are still super, super volatile, tumultuous. So you want to be nimble and quick. And like like Twilio is not something I'm going to buy for a long time if I'm going to ever buy it. But that's just because we have a year to wait to see. Once they start showing quarter over quarter profitable EPS and a good clear path toward that. And they don't screw anything up and those revenues start to synergize from the different companies they pur- they purchased and everything, I'll be bullish. Where's I'll
1: the VLOP? They're down 70%. I mean, th- th- this guy is no joke. You watch CEOs. Like he- he's one of the guys that I'm just like, fuck he- he- You know, not Elon status. Right. But like up in that echelon of leadership yeah. and, and understanding, and like they lost four executives in this past year. So if I'm an investor, that's scary, but like, If you look deeper under the hood, they left because like the CEO used to be an entrepreneur. He wanted to start his own company. Like they made their money. You know, we don't factor in the human element of some of these executives where they've made their money. They're they're executives for a reason. They have this entrepreneurial spirit. They want to start another company and they made a few. So they don't care. They're moving on to the next thing as an investor, you see like, okay, leadership's gone. And and, and so that's part of the shakeup. They also acquired these companies. I don't know, I'm still bullish
0: on, on Twilio. Uh, you know, I, I have a perfect example for you right here. And you can be, but I can tell you what, it's down 70%, it could be down another 70%. The reason why that like everything you're saying and what I'm saying, it, it comes down to the fact of like, think of a stock as a soup, right? It takes a lot of time to make the soup actually taste good. You can't boil the soup or else it's not a soup, then it becomes terrible. Like you have to give it some time to have all the flavors mesh, right? no one's waiting in this market and nobody has the money to wait or has the time to wait in this market. And so like you're picking five names, you're not looking under the hood. No one's looking under the hood right now because there's nothing to look under. It's like everything's either going down or holding. So price is ruling everything around. Like I'm not saying that I don't think Twilio could be a big banger in the next three or five years, but like in the current market climate, the reason why Twilio is not up is because it's not Datadog in terms of why we discussed Datadog just now and why we said the good things we said about it versus like my not so bullish take on Twilio. This so to duty. sum up this,
2: to sum up this entire episode, Tony has a Solana phone in his Toyota <laughs> Solara with his can of soup. Honestly, what a great <laughs> no, I, I, I think once you said soup, I heard nothing else. I started thinking about the movie Ratatouille. Now nah, to wrap it up, it's I not, mean, me too. it's nice to feel some
1: green this week, right? Like I you know the last, Probably 10 episodes, we felt pretty bearish and rightfully so. And I'm still out here very bearish, but we can celebrate we can for the be time being. Right. Exactly. So, like, that's what I was going to get into here is like, do we celebrate? Can everyone start popping the champagne bottles and yeah, you know, yeah. buying yeah. growth again? I don't think any of us are there. Right. And as much as it'd be so much more fun to talk about that, as much green and positivity we're seeing here, let's just be honest.
2: I don't think any of us can feel bullish over the next. My my three word answer for this is enjoy the ride. Yeah, it's been brutal on the way down. Yeah, we've had a couple fun days. Don't don't get ahead of ourselves. You know, nothing has changed from two weeks ago, from three weeks ago, or four weeks ago. I think I've I've said the same thing over and over. You know, nothing has systemically or in any way improved to justify this rally. Now, I don't think things were as bad to justify as big as the drawdown was. But you know, the the catalyst or something to get me so bullish that i want to tell people now is the time, now is the bottom, now is this is a legit rally, it just still isn't there. And I can't help but think of you know the charts we've talked about nonstop with the bear market rallies and how common they are. So while I want to say, hey, this is the start of you know a 20, 30% bull market return, we just don't have that information to do it. So, you know, enjoy the ride. Do what you feel is best, whether it's deploying capital, sitting on your hands, whatever helps you sleep well at night. But let's let's wait for things. Let's just see how things turn out. Check out StockTwits.com
1: again. Give a shout out to our sponsor. We will be back next week for another episode of
2: Pounding the You don't
0: have to buy the bottom. You should buy the uptrend. 30. Solana phone Buy the Solana phone <laughs> Yo, I'm not wrong Solara the whole time So
1: they
2: stopped making it in 2008 so Joey we were talking about a phone Read it for 30 seconds Go read what it is for 30 seconds, 30 seconds. Developing countries need someone to put their money They're going to put it in a Chrysler Solara That's what I got <laughs> with all this Now
0: it's two of you It's two of you guys You're
2: fucked Toyota Camry Solara So a Solara is like a specialty Camry. (laughs) It's a physical...